At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Normally, we'd start with hello and welcome to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi, but apparently that's not good enough anymore. And yeah, we haven't yeah, landed not. haven't landed on a new one yet. So, uh, sup, you know what we everybody? don't? You know what we don't do hey. that we really need to do is we. I don't think we've introduced ourselves for an episode for like two years. No, that's not true. Yeah. So I don't think that's true. When when got James Hinchcliffe and also 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 people. It's gonna be fun, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So Alex, do you want to explain why your internet is so uh, so today? I'm upstairs at James's house. (laughs) (laughs) There's two of us on it. No, (laughs) no. For the first time in the history of recording this show, I do not have the worst internet on this particular episode. Though, as he pointed out earlier, it is no fault of his own. Alex, why are you struggling with bandwidth today? I am currently in Sebring, Florida. Um, at the, whatever the now Chateau Alon is called that airport or racetrack hotel. Um, yeah. <laughs> so living the dream out here in Sebring. Um, but guys, so I, I apologize for that. I, I really wanted to start this off with a question that's been on my mind, uh, the past couple of days. Here we go. And, um, I just want to get your opinion. Very nervous. Do you, yeah. Do you think it's fair that a streaker is registered as a sex offender what okay is this is this like the super bowl guy uh uh, well no but that's what kind of got me talking about it i don't know if he's been classified but in most states if you're a streaker you're then a sex offender super curious as to why you started talking about this in the first place but we'll we'll dive into that one later no no so i just think it's uh, my opinion is i think it's really wrong because, like, what, now you're supposed to go knock on all your neighbor's doors and be like, like hey, I'm a pervert? Like, I, Well, I mean, streakers are famously shy. <laughs> no, but, like, thing, it's not like you're running around with, like, you know. <laughs> all right, family <laughs> show, family show. So, okay, so I think, I think what you need to remember, right, is if you're going to go streak, first of all, nobody's streaking, you know, at the – boutique clothing shop in Broad Ripple where there's one other patron in the store at the time, right? You're streaking at major events, baseball games, football games, whatever, whatever. And so there's a good chance that there are children watching, right? And so all the law looks at is naked, grown up, being watched by children, sex offender. I feel like that's how they probably make that connection. Wouldn't you feel like it'd be more creepy if you took your clothes off when you were in a shop with one other person? Yeah, but that's but we don't also sex offender. Yeah, that's also (laughs) illegal. Yeah, we just have a different name for it. (laughs) Indecent exposure. 
Uh, yeah. Right. So Much- why is why is why is public why is public nudity not considered a sex offense? I would imagine it is. In, yeah, in is states where like being a streaker, I would imagine that is too. Okay. Well, maybe we need to do more research on it. Um, I mean, I'm going to leave that one up to you, but we can get some fan opinions. I don't know. I just you thought know what? Would- I'm going to go ahead and say I don't want that. i also don't want my google search being like how to become a sex offender in this state that's i don't think that's i think that's what we need uh interesting point though i see what you're saying they're not doing something like along the same lines as a lot of isn't isn't the whole mentality of streaking to like show your happiness and to like raise other people's happiness i don't know like is that what is the point? Raise other people. <laughs> really poor choice of words, man. You're really not like helping the class here. Elevate people's. Nope. That doesn't help. Not better. Not better. Increase. Oh, wow. This may Engorge be. Gorge your the- happiness. No. <laughs> I, guys, my point was I think that's just. I think there needs to be maybe a, an in-between step like right because the average you know the average sex offender did something intentionally and consciously very wrong where the average streaker was like drunk and dares to do it you right. know it's their the the intention behind it i think is very different but like i said they probably just look at naked adult viewing children case closed i don't know whether it's fair or not that's for the higher powers than me and courts to decide. So like, so like television shows where there's nudity. Well, there's a warning yeah, beforehand, but, right? Like yeah, if the football, if the Super Bowl broadcast said, yeah, this might be unsuitable for some viewers. Like they're not going to say that in the one in a million chance some dude's going to no. whip his junk well, out and well, run and, across the field. And usually there's not a live audience for those sex scenes, right? <laughs> like you can't, Great you point. can't be on network TV and in Game of Thrones, they don't have a live studio okay. audience. No, it's purely, you think it purely has to do with the potentials for minors. That would be my default. I, I don't know. Hmm. All right. So what we're trying to say is don't streak. Let's, yeah, we're not super if, endorsing if, it. Or if you're going to streak, streak where only adults are. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, I don't know because the law still, like the law specifies minors have to be watching for it to be a felony. If you're gonna streak, if you're gonna streak, make sure you're wearing a shirt first that says "May Contain (laughs) Nude." May not be suitable for some viewers. But but then, if you're wearing a shirt, it defeats the purpose. So the real workaround is a tattoo. Well, Tim, you, you do love getting tattoos. Yeah. God, so Yeah, I do get a lot of dumb tattoos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that was that was my pawn. I had to drive up from, from Miami uh to Sebring yesterday and this was kind of one of my depart final conversations and I just was thinking about it for the three well, hour drive. So I, I feel just- like the Super Bowl streaker, it was in Florida, and I imagine like I don't think there are a ton of laws in Florida. So I feel like he got away with it. Potentially. Are you basing that on on just my general, general knowledge of Florida? Response yeah. to COVID. I just I just feel like Florida is kind of this lawless place. It's it's well, like, yeah, I mean there's it's that, like the, Google, the old the, west with with pina coladas. 
Yeah, the, the that Google <laughs> game of uh, of Googling your birth date and man in Florida or man yeah, from Florida, Florida man, to see Florida what man. Yeah, Florida man. Yeah, it's not Iowa man. You know, it's not <laughs> Kentucky man. But they're not. They're not. I don't think those aren't illegal situations. Those are just very weird predicaments that people have got themselves in. That is fair. That I, is but fair. I I do feel like Florida and St. Louis in particular are both just like lawless places in my mind that's super random it's very good i think i'm very judgmental oh no no and i want to be clear here i love them both (laughs) (laughs) not a big law man yeah this comes from a place of affection that i say (laughs) (laughs) so uh so alex you're you're in florida you're at sebring you're testing for the sebring 12-hour race um Dude, I got to be honest. It's exciting seeing you testing a sports car with a five o'clock shadow. How does it feel no longer having to shave every time you drive the sports car? So I don't know that I'm allowed. Oh, oh. you think Wayne Taylor Racing might have the same Penske rule of no facial hair? Or is it like a Honda thing maybe? No, 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 no. I, I, I just, I don't know. Because everyone at Wayne Taylor Racing is also clean shaven and like, wears the same pressed pants and you have to have your black hard sole shoes and belt and everything. So like, I'm, I haven't been told that. And I was actually never even told that by Penske. It was just kind of like, I guess, understood thing. Yeah. I don't know that like, hmm. I don't know that Wayne Taylor racing is big enough for them to have like known things. So wait, so at Daytona, did you shave? No. Okay. So you're fine. It was fine. Yeah. 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 You're good. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna trim it up for the race itself. Like, I'm, it's not gonna just be like a Canadian, like, like. Uh, um, Choose your next words carefully. Canadian. Uh, Another lawless wild, place. Wild, wild hunter. <laughs> yeah, it's lawless because they're not needed. Everyone's lumberjack. There you go. Well, yes. Canadian Canadian laws are only about sixty percent of American laws. It's it's like the yeah, Canadian that's fair. Yeah. yeah and they're weirdly yeah, no. colorful. <laughs> so, so it is. Um, it's it is it is a unique. Thing, uh, to also be testing a sports car um, without Elio Castroneves involved. It's my first time driving a sports car without Elio. Oh, because he was just there for Daytona. Yeah. Oh. So, oh, like, oh, Elio is Elio's right. no doubt very talented, and, and he's, he's like, got to be a great teammate for sports cars. But I can't think of a, a more opposite personality to Alex Rossi than Elio Castroneves. <laughs> So like, does is is everything just way calmer in the pit now, or like, or do you now feel like you have to fill that void, and now like suddenly you're way more extroverted? No, that's certainly not the case. <laughs> I feel like that's yeah, that's 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 a far fetched idea. I don't think that's how that works. Uh, so <laughs> speaking of that, James, were you did you have to do or not have to do? Were you asked by NBC to do like a personality? like quiz with a psychology professor yes i was did you do it i did so did i yeah and i want to do this i I don't want to like divulge our results prior to it divulge no yeah (laughs) because it's going to be airing at some point yeah right i don't want to step on their toes but was yours incredibly accurate so spot on man i'm so glad you said that mine was (laughs) i am ridiculous from like, because, what was it, 30 questions? Something like that. And like some of the questions, when when you go, oh God, I wish we could talk more about it. We'll, we'll revisit this topic once the, the bit airs. But 
the the type of information that they gathered from the questions, I was floored at based on what the questions were. Like the questions right. didn't seem like specific enough to to tell me exactly how X I am or how Y I am. Hmm. And I was floored. Yeah. If anybody from NBC is listening, can I take this test? I have the link. I have the link because yeah. when we were when we were signing off, the guy's like, "Do you have any questions?" And I'm like, "Yeah, can you send me the link? Because I really want my wife to do this. I would love her <laughs> to see these results." So I've got the link for it. How did that conversation go with Becky? Hey, you don't have yet. Well, she hasn't done it yet, but the conversation went funny. I was like, "Oh yeah, I just did this. I explained the test," and she goes, "Well, I want to do that." And I said, "Funny, you should say that." So she hasn't, she hasn't done it yet, but she was actually, she was all about it. But yeah, man, that was trippy. Apparently like psychologists know stuff. I mean, did it give like the, like the, the letters, like the ENFP or whatever, or, or was it? No, like- no, it was like, it was different categories. And then there were subcategories and it gave you a, like a sliding scale from zero to 10. And then there was like a total score. And like, there was only one subcategory that like I disagreed with. Um, was yours just asshole? <laughs> no, um, but, but I will be honest. It was close. Honest, no, the one the one thing that I disagreed with was um, it was called agreeableness, and it said people who score high tend to be warm, friendly, and tactful. And I was like. You scored high, I'm assuming. You, yeah. You disagreed with the agreeableness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to point out the flaw in this guy's system, but you know what? That's... I don't want to take this test anymore. <laughs> so... That was the only thing out of like yeah. maybe twelve categories that was like a little off, right? But the rest were were spot on. So and it's and it was even was like very cool. It was even like the scale of it, right? Like there was one category, one, yeah. one of the subcategories where, like you say, it was uh, a scale out of 10 or whatever. And in my head, when he was, exp- he was about to give my score, he was explaining what this category meant. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's mostly like me, but definitely not always. And then they're like, you scored seven out of 10. I'm like, yeah, no, that, <laughs> that makes sense. That's about, that's about what I would have put that at. Wow. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I want to take this test. Very, very cool. if NBC's listening. It'd also be cool if you hired me. I mean, like, I'm free. Uh, so what, I mean, is, is both time-wise and cost. Is is every podcast episode now just Tim trying to get jobs? Yeah, man. Why do you think I'm doing this? <laughs> Although, look, serious talk, real talk for a second. I feel like we should maybe turn this into a show show and ask to be put on Peacock, the new streaming channel platform for NBC, because why not? That'd be cool. That'd be great. I like money. Let me see if you're listening, which again, we know you're not. But so <laughs> Tim's job pleas are pretty pointless. But yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, you cannot have yeah, the ringtone. Out now. <laughs> yeah. And now we're going to get sued. So Alex, you're, you're in Sebring testing. Have you actually driven the car yet? Or did you just get no, there? Or? No, no, no. Just got I there. Just, I, um, I, there was a little, there was a dead space. And I was like, do I want to stay in Miami? Or should I leave Miami and go to Sebring and like, you know, have some alone time and go to the Get gym it. and stuff. So I did that. And it Fair. was actually kind of cool because um, I was in the hotel lobby last night uh, at, at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. 
And to my very uh, great surprise, uh, my old engineer from the Penske DPI program and the team manager, uh, John Bolsog, walked down and we're having dinner. Nice. Because we're here for um, the new uh, diversity USF 2000 team that the uh, team Penske is part of. Right. And so I was able to have dinner with them. Oh, cool. Kind of catch up and stuff, which was so it all it all worked out. Um, but no, in the car for Wednesday, Thursday, and then swiftly back to Indianapolis for a full day of media with you, James. Yay! Happy days, happy days. Are you doing like a full twelve-hour simulation? Oh no, this car has finished the twelve hours of Sebring three times. We know. Okay. Okay, so you're just doing normal test days, just pounding we've around. Also already, we've, we've already done a 24-hour simulation before, so we're not doing that again. Wait, a 24-hour simulation at Sebring? No. Okay, yeah, yeah. That wasn't a simulation. That was called a race, and you won it. But, yeah, anyway. <clears throat> oh, but we also, like, did a test, Yeah. 24-hour test. A 24 hour race and it went cool. okay. Yeah. So it's reliable, is what you're saying. You're yeah. not worried about the reliability. Fun fact. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, so, yeah, no, it's just, it's going to be a day full of, um, you know, figuring out how to replace Elio's energy. Really. <laughs> um, really Red Bull. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of the 24 and that uh, terrific breakthrough win for you in your career, one of those hallmark events. Uh, that you've managed to add to your CV. We had a listener bring up the topic of kind of old stories. And one of the ideas floated around about, you know, talking about kind of your first breakthrough win as a driver, like something in the junior categories. Was there an event that you had or a win that you remember that was kind of like, I don't know, maybe like a bit of an aha moment for you or like, yeah, okay, everything clicked and this is, I'm, I'm in the right place. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Was there one that sort of was a turning point for you in your young career? Or was it just the 500? <laughs> so, <laughs> it was uh, Southern California. Um, I don't quite remember uh, the age that I was, um, but it was a huge deal because I had for so long been competing in this championship and always, you know, fell up short to someone who I really felt was a lesser competitor to me. I know that may sound arrogant, but I just did. I didn't think that they were, you know, could, could beat me. I just, I thought it was really strange. And so, um, the, the time that I finally did was, was really amazing. Um, and the big difference maker for me was I played as peach. And it was <laughs> a revelation for me to finally kick Tim Durham's ass and Mario. I was like on board of what happened. Oh and it man, was really spectacular! I um, was invested. I was. I was like, I couldn't I wait know. to ask who like, that driver was. I want to know who this is. Yeah, because I knew doing. you were going to still know his name. Oh man, that you, no, damn, no, you got so, us. That was good. <laughs> Uh, no, in all honesty, it was San Diego, um, 2007, Formula BMW. Um, you know that track well, I think, James, right? Sa- San Diego? Or no, sorry, San Jose. San Jose. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And um, crazy, crazy racetrack. Uh, but for me, in, in Formula BMW, like that was my home race, right? And um, 
it was, no, shoot, was it 2000? Yeah, it was 2007. I, I was driving for my second team that season. So I started out with uh, Hearn Motorsports, which was uh, run by Richie Hearn. There were some things that kind of went went south in terms of budgets and finances and, and such. And so I got the opportunity to switch to uh, Team Apex, David Hunt, mm-hmm. um, who Rob drove for. <laughs> I, know, I know I never drove for him, but I, I know Dave really well. Yeah, um, local Indiana guy from, from Terre Haute. And I drove for them, and this was my second race weekend with this new team, and they kind of took me on. We didn't have really the all the budget that we needed um, to really finish the season, but they the driver that started their season couldn't finish, so they like they were just trying to run two cars. And the the environment was it was the first time in a race team where I felt like welcomed and appreciated, and that's just kind of who who David and, and Jim Exline, his his partner, were. They were just really great people, and kind of were that father figure that was both kind of a team owner, but also like um, a support system coach just, you know, a lot of positive energy and a lot of encouragement. And so um, it was my first time racing at, at San Jose and it was a support event for Champ Car. And I, I won that first race at the double header. And it was like, for me, that was finally like, okay, I've, I've, I've done something, right? Because before that, I had only ever won in Skip Barber. Um, so this was kind of the first like national, like real championship race. And it was the most competition I'd ever had before. And, and so it was really special for me to do that, especially with the team that I felt so, so welcome to. Um, it was short lived because the next day I uh, crashed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hey, it was still, it was still a weekend that I'll cherish uh, forever. And, and, and I think that one for me was really the, the proof that like, hey, I can, I can probably do this. It's, it's, it's amazing, eh? How there is that moment where it, it is kind of like, justifying everything you've done up to that point in your life to yourself. You know, you've, yeah. you, you've always tried to believe it. You've always wanted to believe it, but it, until you kind of cross that line and, and prove that you can beat whoever's on track that day, it's amazing the boost that gives you as a driver. And, and then that confidence just carries, you know, like you said the atmosphere in the team is super important and having the right chemistry there. And then, so the next day didn't go well, but the, did that lead to then more race wins later in the year? And- yeah, we won two more races that year. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was huge for us. And then um, it kind of set me up for for 2008, and um, we went and won won the, the championship that next year. So and the World Finals, and that's what put me on the path to Europe. So that was really for me the, the huge turning point, I think, in, in everything that I was doing. So um, yeah, sad we don't go to San Jose anymore. I guess Long Beach. <laughs> pretty okay substitute if you will <laughs> uh, yeah you, you guys have done all right there yeah long yeah. beach is all right <laughs> though <laughs> i do love how how stupid your sidewalk looks at long beach okay that's enough, that's enough. <laughs> when you're how, on i was just gonna say how's your sidewalk in long beach tim fair enough touche yeah. uh, well no I'm, I'm curious before we before we get to james's i because I, I do want to go to that but like looking back at that day now you've obviously had a lot more success you know things have gone what's like is there something specific that that sticks out from then like was there did you just dominate all day like you you've done at long beach a couple times or was it really like a dog fight to get through or or do you remember like what you had for breakfast like what's what's the big thing that sticks out still from that day um I'm trying to fill time is what I'm saying. That, no, that's fine. Like, 
honestly, the biggest thing that sticks out from that day has nothing to do with that race win. Uh, my dad knew someone who was like part of Alex Tagliani's group. And so my dad wanted to introduce me to Alex Tagliani. And this was going to be the first like champ car driver that I was going to meet as, as a Formula BMW driver. And this is the first time that like I walked into the, the pit of a champ car team and saw the car and, and everything. And he kind of met us outside and was like, Hey, what's up, man? Like, nice to meet you and everything. He was like, I'm, I'm really busy, but like, come on inside and like, we'll chat. So it was me, my dad, and my mom. And we walk into the trailer and as like, we turn the corner, he's just getting naked changing. <laughs> so it always comes back to nudity. No, no. <laughs> We've come full circle on this episode. My mom, my mom was like looking at me and I was like, I didn't know what to do. So we all kind of like half turned around and like let him do his thing. And then like continued our conversation. And it was great. And he was a really nice guy. And like, I think he's hilarious. And anyways, it was, it was a, it was a fine experience, but it's funny now. Cause like, you know, James, sometimes like <laughs> a fine experience, you're in a truck and you've got to get changed or you got to get yeah. dressed and you start doing it. Yeah. Like you don't even think anymore. So it, it's kind of funny that now you're in that position for sure. We have to change in front of so many people all the time. We've changed in front of thousands of people. And you don't even register anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, no, like that's no. that's true. Because like media days, cha- changing in and out of your race suit for different like, things at the days, track. Yeah, race days, race you're, days, test days, just days. Like you're just always. And it's like you're not getting naked, Tim. Like, okay, yeah, have- that that was gonna be my follow up. No, you're not yeah. okay. No, you have underwear on, but like still, you're just dropping your pants in front yeah. of like whoever. Yeah, you're stripping down to your boxers basically in front of whoever, like, in the Oops. middle of a warehouse or a shop or a trailer or wherever. And I'm quite impressed with our like flow of show starting and then like coming back to it. Let's start with streaking yeah. and and landing on stripping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 My one big thing, um, just real quick to bring it back to streaking, is I've never gotten out of the shower, looked at myself in the mirror, and been like, the world needs to see this. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't think that's the motivation for the average streaker. Um, but, you know, I digress. All uh, right. So, so Alex is, is naked, Alex Tagliani. No, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He was just really, really excited to see Alex Tagliani. No, like, <laughs> I get it. Funny, I get like, it. He's a handsome guy. You know, I look back at the two like, big things that stick in my mind. Big, 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 big? Are you kidding me, Alex? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> although, although I've heard rumors about Tag, so yeah, it's, that's not inaccurate. <laughs> that's not inaccurate from what I've heard. <laughs> This is by far the <laughs> furthest off track we have ever been on this show. Oh man! <laughs> Tag is a guest next week. Yeah, yeah for I sure. feel like we have to now. <laughs> so, Tag. Rumor has it. <laughs> <laughs> wow this this uh, this this guy. Uh, It'd be weird if he did it on the podcast. Yeah, that would be weird. That would be very weird. 
man. All right, um, James. First well, so, yeah, so, your first time seeing Alex Tagliani. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar story. Uh, Formula BMW. <laughs> and, uh, oh, no, sorry, not the tag part. Actually, well, so there's a lot of parallels, actually. So um, Formula BMW 2004. And like, like same with you, Alex, is first year kind of in a proper national car championship. And we started the season really well. Like I think I finished second in the first race and we had had like four second place finishes, but just hadn't had that win yet. And I was getting really frustrated at that. And uh, we were at Road America, which is my favorite road course in the country. And we... Two race deal, same deal. And on the first race, I think I was running third or something. And I was just so frustrated with running, you know, in a podium position, but not not going to win. And I ended up pitching the car into the gravel trap in Canada Corner, ironically enough. And um, and I'm sitting there in the gravel trap and I was like, well, you know what? Third would have been better than this, you jackass. And like, so it was like actually a big lesson. It was one of those kind of cool lesson days for you as a young driver. And then we came back the next day and uh, had a really awesome, fun race and, and ended up winning the race. And like, you know, same same thing with Alex. Like it just, it gave you so much confidence. It gave you so much belief in what you were doing. And we ended up winning, I think, three on the trot after that. Like it really just kind of helped give us a, a big boost and, and get our championship really going. And um, it was a it was a really, really cool day. And, and again, like I said, Road America is one of my favorite places to go and uh, to win a race there was awesome, especially rebounding. So I had the opposite experience. You won race one, crash race two. We did it the other way around. But what's funny is something else that stands out about that weekend is um, BMW took a couple of the drivers to go meet some of the IndyCar guys. And I got taken to the uh, Herdez team where there was this young American driver with frosted tips that was supposed to be the next <laughs> great thing. And I have a picture of 17-year-old James. And at that point, he was probably already like 38, 39, Ryan Hunter Ray. Um, <laughs> seven yes. years before I'd start an IndyCar race and eight years before we'd be teammates together. But it was it's really funny looking back on that picture and seeing how frosted his tips were. He is, and I, I'm not exaggerating at all here, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray is 87 years old. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> But so, yeah, so, very similar experience, although he kept his clothes on. Well, <laughs> that's disappointing. <laughs> was, uh, was Road America your favorite track, for, like one of your favorites prior to this? Or did the win like make it one of your favorites? Like how, it, how did that work? So it was kind of one of my favorites beforehand. So Jacques Villeneuve, who, you know, I was a huge fan of, obviously, just being Canadian. I followed his whole career. And he got his first IndyCar win at Road America. And so I'd always kind of liked the place. And then, you know, I grew up racing at this track in Ontario called Mosport. And Mosport's one of these kind of classic old school road courses, kind of through the woods, lots of elevation, pretty fast. And there's a lot of similarities to that in Road America. And so I kind of felt at home in that place anyway. And I remember on the Friday of that weekend, me and some of the other the kids running in the series, we went uh, up to the carousel for the, the champ car practice. And we're just glued against the fence and just watching these champ cars rip around the carousel. And I remember thinking to myself, like driving an Indy car around this track has got to be the coolest thing that you can do. Like in a Formula BMW car, I'm not going to lie. It was like two minute, eight second laps, not the most thrilling track in a Formula BMW car, but there was just no. something about that place and like the character of it and the history of it. That's just, it's just one of those 
like you couldn't build that track today. You know, like they, they just wouldn't let you, you know? So it's, uh, I think, I think kind of before the win, it was still right up there. And then that helped. I won the next year in pro Mazda that didn't hurt either. So you know, <laughs> had a couple good years there really kind of, you know, made me love the place. Um, is that, do you think, cause I'm, I'm trying to think about like myself, do you think that you're more suited to those like types of road courses? Like I love street courses. Like that's my jam. Mm-hmm. I like high speed road courses. I don't like the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> is that, like, do you think, I don't know. Do you think it's easier for, for racing drivers to win at tracks that they love versus I guess so. Well, so it's an interesting point because obviously like your, your mindset and mentality is a huge part of racing. And if you're going into a place that you hate, you're probably not going to do that well. But I forever in the junior categories really, really didn't like racing at Portland. And I raced there a couple times in, in different categories. And I think I had, by the time like I stopped in my junior category career, I had four races at Portland and I never finished worse than second. I either won or came second in all of them. And, you still didn't and like it. I just didn't like the track. <laughs> didn't like it that much. So I don't know. I don't know. I just I just like have this image of you like carrying off your trophy pouting. Like, yeah, <laughs> this place can go to hell. <laughs> oh, gotta gotta come back here and do this again tomorrow. This sucks. <laughs> you love, you love Iowa, which you have had huge success i love iowa i love um laguna or i'm um, sorry long beach um you know there's there are definitely correlations between is there tracks a track I love. you love that you haven't won yet yeah i mean all all of the ones that i haven't won at i'd like to do that <laughs> there um, but like one i mean let's not talk about indianapolis but like one that's on your list that you're like man like I, I really honestly I would, I would really like to win a race at road america in an indycar Right, I yeah. Yeah. Um, like ever in anything. Um, that you've driven at that you're just it's on your list of like man, I gotta I gotta figure this out one day. Well, like and and, and we're talking just in terms of the racetrack itself, like the physical turns and not the event, not the you know because obviously like Toronto Toronto is an event that I want to win, right? And the track no, I'm, I'm talking about a track, yeah. Right. So like I always loved Long Beach. Like that was always like kind of my favorite street course as a as a course to drive on. Um, and, you know, obviously we were fortunate enough to get a win there. Um, Texas, I've come really close to Texas. I really enjoy racing at Texas. I've had some really good battles there. I've had some good days and bad days for sure. But that's that's one that I've I've felt like we've had the opportunity to win more than once and haven't. And so getting getting to fire those guns off wearing those cowboy hats. Like that's, that's something I really, really want to do. So yeah, yeah I'll probably say that. So for me, it, it's also Texas, but Coda. Definitely not. Ah. So and the, reason, <laughs> the reason for that is because like I was involved in like the promotion of that joint from like 2012. Like I drove right. when they first broke ground. Cause you were the American guy in F1 and Europe and blah, blah, blah. And going to do all this stuff. Right. So for me, like I've, been to that track pretty much every year except for last year well right there last year so every every single year and well, wait you did the, the we did the test there though the open test was at coda wasn't it yeah and we raced there and i finished no well, no, but la- no but last year 
wasn't the open test there still again last year? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes, so you technically have been, yeah, yeah. sorry. I've literally been there every single year. So um, for me, like that's just a track that like I feel like a part of, which yeah. is weird to say. And it's, I was really sad when, when it fell off the IndyCar's calendar. For sure. Like, I understand why, but, um, and, and also at the time, like it's, is it the best track? No, but like what they did um, in terms of like trying to incorporate some of the best corners from tracks all around the world into yeah. like the new, I think is is really cool and, and unique. So, anyways, I love that Coda. Was, what Tim? Oh, sorry, I was just saying I love Coda. Yeah, that's an yeah. awesome track, awesome event, great city. So, I mean, since you piped in and interrupted me, Tim, like, what's your what's your? I feel uh, like I was adding to it. I was adding to the <laughs> conversation. I was I was supplemental. <laughs> You know? <laughs> so, what was your uh, break? Big breakthrough. In, in your- what was uh, what was this? What was this sentence that you wrote down? And you were like, "Man, I'm really good at this <laughs> writing stuff." Well, no, the reason. So, the reason I texted you guys about this and why I wanted to go over this today is because there is such a distinction, especially in the like the higher echelons of racing of of a race winner, because it's there's such a it's like you all, you always talk about like you're not just beating one guy it's not a basketball game where you either win or you lose like you have to beat everybody so a race winner in the upper echelon of racing does carry with it this this massive distinction um but i i guess I, and, and what what you guys talked about ended up being what i was hoping we would talk about today like the the special ones in your own mind like i know in, in stand up uh when i when i used to do stand up one really good night could carry you through a ton of really nights. So like, did, did you have that same thing where it's like, well, all right, well, I want here though. Right. Right. Like I know, I know I'm on the right path because I've, I've proven myself in these races. I don't, I don't think so, dude, because I mean, probably like stand up though, like racing such a cutthroat business. Right. And you're only as good as your last race. And like, yeah, you can win in St. Pete for the season opener, but then if you go to the end of the year without winning a race again, like people are like, well, that guy had a pretty rough year, right? Or like didn't didn't live up to the expectations that we had. It buys so, you a couple though, right? Like you get two races where everyone's like, yeah, maybe it was a fluke. You're only as good as your last race, man. That's that's the saying, right? I really don't think so. But so you win, I think you win Indy, you're all right. Oh yeah, convenient. That's literally. The- <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying for that year. For the year, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like January comes, doesn't matter. So yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, not, not for me. So um, do those, do those trophies, do those trophies like have a special place for you guys still? Do you, do you still have those, or is it just the memory? In a closet somewhere. <laughs> I, I don't mind them. <laughs> I I put them out, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Alex, Alex got right. It, it is a memory, right? And like you could win. So this is, this is the perfect example. Um, 2014, Ryan Hunter Ray wins the Indy 500, right? Like he, he won the championship in 2012. He got an Indy 500 in 2014. And, you know, Ryan had, had been on the, the wrong end of some criticism kind of around that point in his career and these were two like solid middle finger ups to, you know, all the people that were sort of like, oh, is he over the hill? Is he past his prime? Whatever, whatever. 
and he was he was in his prime like he was he was killing it and he wins the race at indy and basically checked all the boxes now he's got a championship dozen plus wins he's won the 500 like you can pretty much retire happy at that point not that he wants to he wants to win more but um and you know he had a, a really impassioned speech at the banquet the 500 just kind of talking about that and how he came up and the people that kind of were against him and how that fueled him and all that stuff and now he finally did he won the indy 500 and we went to Detroit the next weekend, as you know was kind of tradition for the longest time, and double header at a difficult street track. And I'm not exaggerating; I'm pretty sure. So, like, there's there's the the Indy 500 hangover, which Alex knows all about. Yeah, I was going to say nobody nobody wins Detroit. Nobody goes to Detroit and does. I think Takuma's done the best last or 2017. I think he had like a top five, which is outrageous. Um, but Ryan went and had, I think, statistically speaking, the worst race of his weekend of his entire <laughs> career. He hit the wall in every single session. He did at least a wing. He did a couple left rear corners, like both qualifying sessions, terrible races. I mean, it was awful. And I think in the set, the Sunday qualifying, he had tapped the wall again or something, had another one. So he's had a bad practice session, a bad qualifying, a bad race, a bad qualifying. And, you know, he came back to the trailer and, I mean, he was on suicide watch. Like, the guy could not have been more upset, angry, depressed, like, just was just wanted to do anything else, wanted to be anywhere but that place. And I had to sit him down and be like, Ryan, I just need you to remember one thing real quick. <laughs> Roughly seven days ago, right? <laughs> but, it's, but it's true. I mean, it's the biggest race in the world and he won it and no one can ever take that away from him. But seven days later, he wanted to kill himself. He thought it was the worst racing driver on the planet. And you feel undeserving of everything you've got. So it's it is it's it's cruel the way this sport you know it's it's cyclical like that and it's it's the highest the highs and the lowest the lows and they can come quite literally back to back like that. Well, and it's crazy. It's it's amazing people sign up for this with the amount that you lose more than you win. Yeah, like no, there are teams in any sport that have had five hundred seasons. Right? There's literally not a single professional racing driver that's won more races than they've lost, and that's including Lewis Hamilton who has been on a five, six-year absolute domination spree, still does not have a 50% win rate. Well, the the big, the important thing that I want people to take away from this episode, because we are wrapping up time-wise, is that I beat Alex at Mario Kart a lot more than he beats me. I just, I want to make sure that that's said, that's stated, that's understood. If he rebuts it, I'm going to edit it out. Um, I beat Alexander Rossi at Mario Kart often yeah oh that's true <laughs> yeah I, I hope you can sleep well at night <laughs> i do yeah I, I think about that as i fall asleep every night you know what you should get that tattooed on your back and then go streaking through the grove and really drive that point home <laughs> before, you do it, before you do it make sure you call tag and see if he's in town <laughs> no you don't want to streak next to that guy yeah no <laughs> if, it's, if there's anything this doesn't need it's a comparison <laughs> <laughs> oh man what has been by far the most off track episode of off track with Hinch and Rossi I guess Tim was here too I, I, I hate that we have to say this but don't streak yeah, yeah please listening. don't yeah <laughs> Don't. Please don't. Even don't. though Alex disagrees with the severity of the punishment, it does not an endorsement for the act itself. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, have a great few days testing. By the time this airs, you will have already done it. I'm sure it's going to go swimmingly. And we will see everybody one week from now. Thanks for listening.
keep your clothes on. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Keep in contact with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at AskOffTrack. Or you can follow us individually. We're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. If you want to follow Tim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham. We really need to get that changed to at producer Tim. The music you heard today is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is produced by Tim Durham. And by that, I mean thin. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.